Hello, everybody. It's your girl Joy has questions coming to you again live with another amazing episode. Hope everyone's Sunday is going bomb.com. I'm moving right into the you better know. Today, I am highlighting Selma Burke, aka Selma Hortons Burke, who was born December 31st, 1900, and died August 29th, 1995. Um, this woman was an American sculptor. She was a part of the Harlem Renaissance. She is most iconically known for her bas relief portrait of President FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt, which is widely accepted to be uh, the version that is found on the U.S. American dime. Um, she was called, or described herself rather as, a people sculptor. And during her lifetime, she created portraits, or I should say sculptures, of prominent African-American figures such as Duke Ellington, Mary McLeod Bethune, and Booker T. Washington. And she also was awarded the Woman Caucus for Literature and Achievement Award in 1979. This was an award that was founded under the presidency of Lee M. Miller, and Jimmy Carter, as president, presided over the first Women Caucus Award in the Oval Office in 1980. Um, this is something that pretty much is the highest honor that you could be given as a United States artist or sculptor, sculptress, um, and certainly deserved. Um, she was born in Mooresville, North Carolina. She was the seventh of ten children. Neil and Mary Colefield Burke. Her dad was an AME church minister. And she says she loved the feeling of squeezing clay through her fingers. Um, and it was in 1907 that she really started to hone in on her talents. She went to Winston-Salem State University, graduated in 1924 from St. Agnes Training School for Nurses in Raleigh. And this is what I find is amazing. She became known as this bomb-ass sculptress, but she even had more qualifications and more talents to give. She moved to New York in 1935 and got associated with the Harlem Renaissance through her relationship with another iconic African-American figure, Claude McKay. Um, Their relationship was brief and tumultuous, and although she said it was kind of filled with strife at times, he definitely introduced her to the Harlem Renaissance a movement in terms of the different artists as well as writers that were available. She started teaching at the Harlem Community Center, And then under the leadership of Augusta Savage, she worked under the Works Progress Administration on the New Deal Federal Art Project. One of her works, which was a bust of Booker T. Washington, was given to the Frederick Douglass School in Manhattan in 1936. Um, She went to Europe twice in the 1930s. Um, She was praised by a lot of artists or well-known sculptors for the work that she did. Um, She also came back and enrolled in Columbia University, where she got her Master's of Fine Arts in 1941. What I think is so amazing of this, yes, we hear of like prominent African-Americans at times who were educated and getting their degrees but this is the first time it just dawned on me like this woman got her master's in the 40s that is fucking incredible she opened up her own art school in new york in 1946 and then opened up the selma burke art center in pittsburgh and then from 1968 to 1981, it was known as a critical, or playing, I should say, a critical role in the Pittsburgh art community. Um, basically, not only did she make portraits for prominent African Americans, but she was most well known of her portrait of FDR and the Four Freedoms. She basically won the national contest where she got 45 minutes to sit and sketch Roosevelt in the White House. Um, she completed this work in 1944, and President Harry Truman unveiled it in September of 1945 at the Recorder of Deeds building in D.C. Um, It is widely accepted. Now, here's the catch, y'all. John R. Sinek, who basically is quoted as designing the portrait that is on the American dime, he served as the eighth chief engraver of the United States Mint from 1925 to 1947. Everybody in their mama basically says that he took her portrait and used that as the reference to, or I should say took her bust and used that as the reference for what he is credited with as being the engraver for the United States um, American dime with FDR. But what he said he did was he consulted photographs of FDR and had the advice and criticism of two prominent sculptures who specialize in work relief. Hog fucking wash. You can sit down, John Arsenic. Um, at the end of the day, though, Selma Burke 
was a pioneer in the arts movement. Um, this is a woman whose last work was done in 1980. Um, and at the end of the day, when she died in 1995, she was revered as one of the preeminent um, sculptresses of her time. So salute to Selma Burke, um, who we all know is the real reason why the FDR dime looks the way it does. And now moving right along into So According to IG. What's up, everybody? It's your girl. Once again, Joy has questions coming to you on another Sunday afternoon. Um, I hope you are enjoying this pre-apocalyptic weather because there's no reason why it is fucking 50 degrees on Sunday in Chicago. But hope everyone is having an amazing time with their loved ones. Um, and we are going to jump right into it with So According to IG. Um, I have amazing guests on the show today. These Brothers, number one, their IG profiles, the tailoring is always correct, linings are together, they're always like with their black queens and their children or their family members, I'm like giving all the black boy joy, Um, they have an amazing brand that they're going to be talking about today that I'm super excited, so I have two out of the three members for Stature Life, Um, founder Tristan Lewis and then also co-founder Pierre Candidate. Hi guys, how are you? What's up, what's up? Yay! I'm so excited. Like this shea butter moment, this cocoa butter moment. I'm like, I am here for this. Um, so jumping right into it with so according to IG. Um, I have just needed a lot of Hennessy this week, a lot of hot toddies, just trying to focus and process this foolishness that has been on my TV. Um, let's just get right to it. I'm a born and raised Chicago, and Pierre, I know you're not from Chicago. Where are you from? Oh, Florida. Okay. Florida. I see you. Stand up. And then you, Tristan? I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. <gasps> My mom would love you. She's from Kansas from City. Kansas yes. City? Oh. <laughs> no one gang bangs like Kansas City. She, when it comes to barbecue, she is like postal over it. But um, yeah, so I'm the only native Chicagoan here. So clearly when I was watching the R. Kelly situation, I was like, I remember all these street corners he was on. Yeah. This situation is not something that is not new to me. Um, in regards to your original thoughts, or initial, I should say, thoughts with this, how did you feel? Have you all even seen the documentary? I've seen I've seen one full episode of the docuseries. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, Bailey and I were talking about catching up and watching the rest of it tonight. Okay. Yeah. Take a sedative before you watch, but you all will be together. So, <laughs> like, that'll be helpful. Pierre, did you see it? Pierre said it like I'm ready to read him let's go (laughs) um so what were your initial thoughts just from what you viewed like Pierre you can start or or, you know I know you all aren't together right now but Tristan whoever wants to take it yo Pierre I I, I say uh you go ahead and run with it man because I know you have some strong strong feelings about what you saw last night Pierre's not like Perry Mason he's like I got point (laughs) a through k go ahead So I, you know, 
had to check myself sometimes, you know, what am I doing in preparation, you know, for things like this, you know, how can I teach my daughter, tell my daughter, you know, like her value and things of that nature too. Um, it's what it made me think about, but the truth is, you know, as, as talented as the man may be, man, he's got an illness, you know, going, you know, just based off of that, that's how I look at that. It's an illness that could have been addressed a long time ago, but I don't know if it's just taboo in our communities or whatever the case may be, but, you know, that's what I took away from that, man. My man is sick. We got to, you know, I think he's beyond repair, but at this point, but I'm not a doctor either, you know, but I, those actions prove that man, my man's got an illness. Right. Tristan? Yeah, I got two takes on it, man. I, I look at it from the standpoint of just like historically, you look at pop culture, We've always knew that Michael Jackson was out here messing around with these young boys. And then, I mean, I think even in the black culture, like, one of the things that we hide is when these situations happen in our own personal families, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, it just kind of made me, it just kind of made me, like, really zoom out and question, like, what's been broken in black culture when it comes to protecting black women? All right. Um, I think looking at it, and I... <laughs> Let me tell you, my block button finger has been so strong this week because I'm like, I don't have the patience for like, well, you all don't hold white men to the same standard or, you know, y'all knew what y'all was doing. Y'all were 16, 17. Let me be quite honest. I got invited to some or rather had friends that were invited to some of those mansion parties. Right. And I remember that being in the age range of when I was like 19, you know, um, or technically legal. But what I will say is this. What you then are saying, or what I have found is just so ridiculous to me when people are using these excuses, is I'm like, you're saying that there's no point of maturity then that is able to happen. None of us sitting here or talking are the same or as equally stupid as we were when we were 19 years old. And I'm pretty sure there are even moments where we look back on it and be like, look at God protecting me from that bullshit. Because it's like, we do dumb things. It's the error and the trial of youth, right? So I think to sit there and use that as an excuse is completely ridiculous. And then also me just doing my own independent research. The American Psychological Association has come out with widely different reports, but that say typically in society, the age range that society will start to hypersexualize black women is five. So five black women or black little girls are starting to be hypersexualized. So that means by the time I was in middle school, I was just like, what, puberty's hitting and I'm just like, I'm ready to go? No, that's not logical or even humane, but that is literally what reports have said. And I think it's so disgusting to see people make the comparison of like, well, they knew what they were getting into. If you're able to make that comparison about a 16, 17, 18-year-old young person, young black female, then what is the difference when that is the same mindset of you know, kind of adjacent situations with police brutality when they were like, well, Tamir Rice looked older. He was 12. Or Trayvon and Jordan shouldn't have had the Gucci man playing that loud or he should have been respectful to that white man or whatever the situation is. If we're saying don't kill our babies when it comes to black young boys, but we're telling our black young girls you should have known better, that to me is just like complete bullshit on like and it just yeah. infuriates me on so many levels i mean one of the things that i that i took away from the i think it was the second part of the series that mm-hmm. i watched was just all these adults that were around that said nothing and then seemed so remorseful 20 years later after this situation happened right and i'm situ- sitting there like i wonder what was keeping them quiet even though they knew that what was going on was wrong I mean, we, we all know. We like, all know. We all know. VIP status as yeah. a plus five because I'm in his entourage. You know, so, I mean, it's just, it's just sad that, like, you know, from, from a moral standard standpoint, we would trade a bag over the well-being of our little girls. Right. You know? Or it, it, it just really puts me in the mindset of even what's been more, to me, damning, I should feel, or heartbreaking for me looking at the community standpoint is the fact of like seeing this discord i'm like if we can't even come together on condemning somebody who has been out here raping and victimizing young black women and underage black and brown girls Mm -hmm. what the fuck are we supposed to do with like financial equity within the community or strengthening ourselves you know to have our own independence and freedom i'm like we can't even let go of this is the remix to ignition hot and fresh out the kitchen but we now supposed to sit here and tell 
the government and everyone else. You need to respect us. This is a matter of we're not respecting ourselves. And just because we might be the only ones talking about it, like I even brought it up casually to some of my coworkers. They all were talking about it quietly, though, amongst themselves. Mm. So I'm just like, don't think for a fact that everyone isn't looking at this also as a way of, see, this is why we don't respect black people. It's bullshit, but it definitely is like something that I'm like, people are looking at this situation that are even outside of the community and making their own separate judgments. Um, Did you all see the Chance the Rapper? How he got somehow caught up in all of this? Yeah, you were just filling me in on a comment that he made. Pierre, did you see it? Yeah. That's and you actually bring up a good aspect of like even the discussion because like black Twitter, social media has been having a field day today dragging him actually over it and not necessarily taking that into consideration. Now, I know I'm biased in regards to even discussing this, but if I can try and strip that away just a little bit, holistically I love Chance. I love what he does within the Chicago, you know, uh African American community. His, you know, commitment to black mental health, to um, Chicago public schools, making sure they're funded, to keeping arts within our community for our youth. That's fucking amazing. I guess the thing is, for a moment, it was just like, you had to be convinced that black women were telling the truth. I'm like, when you're surrounded by black women, you got a black daughter, your mom is black, your fiance, all of that. But I think it also is something in terms of, as a society, us having to critically think. Um, I even had people that were like, up my my branded page and was just like, Joy, you need to go in on him. And I'm like, I see one quote and I don't even know what the whole sentence, you know, was, who was interviewing him, what the whole premise was. I think that's an issue that we have as a as a collective. We will extract that one sentence and completely kill somebody's whole entire character. And then when, like, the bigger, you know, portion of the paragraph comes out, now we all got to sit here and do something my bad, you know, yeah. so. I would, I would also say, too, like, I'm not defending Chance's comments, no. even though, like, the media can definitely take what you're saying, twist it up in all kind of ways. But me thinking back from the first time that I saw the R. Kelly tape, I was 16, and it was at the barbershop, and the fellas had it on. And me going back and thinking about, at 16 years old, like, I'm still developing a lot of values and my perspectives of the world and I think about just kind of looking at it now you're right like you do think about those things a lot more critically as you become an adult and that age of enlightenment happens you're like yo that's kind of sick that there were 40 or 50 year old men at the barbershop watching R. Kelly having sex with a girl who was 13 years old right you know so I I definitely think that like hey a lot of like mental evolution does occur like as you get older and you become more well aware of what this world really is, you know? And we have to make the decision, like, between what is unforgivable. Like, this always comes up with our celebrities or public figures when it's, like, a tweet from 2000. And I'll be honest, Facebook has been the bane of my existence because I remember, like, I now get to see, like, statuses I was making from, like, 2008 and seven. I'm like, oh, God, delete this <laughs> shit, please. Yeah. I don't ever want to see it. But, you know, you do have that, that eureka moment. Or if you are trying to be a productive fucking adult, you grow up, you know, and you realize what might be damaging as a woman or as a black man within the community, you know. I think we also need to take that into consideration in terms of, This isn't someone who has been silent or not vocal about social issues that are pertaining to us, and now he's trying to do damage control. This is someone who has been on the front lines talking good shit on behalf of, you know, black people or just um, people of color on all different fronts, whether it's the LGBTQ plus community, whether it's just black women and black boys, period. So I'm willing to... He gets one with me. I will give Chancellor one. <laughs> give him a pass. Give him a he pass. He gets one. I think also, though, you brought up a really good point. Like, clearly, I, I grew up an only child, right? And so my thing was, 
my daddy always got his hair cut by at Kane's Barbershop. Okay. And that was like our thing. I remember as a little girl, I'm like, Saturday, I'm going with my daddy to the barbershop. I will never forget. I turned like 13. And still, it was in my mind, that's me and my daddy's thing. And I remember he, after we got our, or, you know, he got his hair cut, he took me home. He was like, you're never going to the barbershop with me again. I was crushed. Like, when I tell you, he had to make this up with, like, several, you know, allowance increases. Because I wasn't having I'm like, what the hell did I do? But I remember he sat me down and he told me. He was like, you will forever be my little girl. But Mm -hmm. he was like, you are no longer a little girl. And I know, like, in that moment, I was still naive to it. Because I I think about it, like, I know I'm putting this on. Oh, you all better not judge me. Yes, I still was accessorizing my Barbie dolls in eighth grade. It took, like, (laughs) I didn't stop that shit until freshman year. But... But, and when I think back, that that was still, like, those last vestiges, I guess, of my innocence or, you know, just that naivety. I was just like, but that's our thing. And he was like, no, I'm scanning the scene, and these guys are not going to be sitting here ogling my daughter before I have to, like, beat everyone's ass, you yeah. know? And and I think, to that point, like, we have to take those moments a step further because he did something to protect you by kind of removing you from that environment. I'm not sure if he did this in silence or one on one. Oh no, he hurt but, somebody's feelings. Yeah, okay. but yeah, like definitely, we gotta be make we gotta make sure that we're not afraid of confronting those moments directly with the people involved when those situations happen. Yeah, I was pissed though. I was like, I need to make sure they doing your dark Caesar right. Like the taper needs to be together. <laughs> I don't need them giving you some young man lines and shit. You are sixty. Like I am here for a reason. So they don't have my daddy come out looking like he's trying to like stay young. Like I need you to have a dignified haircut. Right. So then on, whenever he went, I wrote down what he was supposed to tell them. That's funny. Don't come back here with no day of three sixty. Like I'm not claiming your ass. <laughs> but um. That was just really interesting in terms of, like, it is the responsibility, though, of the men around you to truly be that, what instills that protection. So, yes, I had that, thankfully, on a personal level. But then you just oppose that against, like, your cousins or, you know, the the dudes in the hood that was watching the R. Kelly tape. I never saw it just because I'm like, I'm not about to try and figure out is it him, is it not him. But I think at the end of the day... It was one too many. R. Kelly, that tape came out, and he still had, like, two to three more albums worth of bangers and hits and more wealth that we gave him as a society. I mean, should we be looking at at Lifetime in a certain way, too? Because this is 20 years ago that this happened, and Lifetime is just now making a docuseries on this. Well, I did research. Oh, were you going to say, Pierre? Sorry, let me jump in real quick, because it's interesting that you said that, though, um, Tristan and... I'll be honest, that's what I got a lot. Like, why now? Why now? You know, and always, you know, my response to that is, why not? You know, why not now? And I gave this scenario, basically, you know, if, uh, let's just say you or a loved one, you know, God forbid, but got an accident and you couldn't walk, you know, and you were in a wheelchair, you know, you're wheelchair bound, but then all of a sudden, you know, uh, miraculously, you're walking again. Now, what we choose to focus on, well, all this time, and you could have been walking, or you're going to say, oh, man, or you're going to respect the fact that it's happening now, you know, or respect pretty much the miracle, or whenever it is. I think that basically, like, I think I, I framed it like, we got this big-ass picture of evidence that we're painting, right? And this is what we chose to focus on. Like, here's all the evidence, but we want to focus on, well, why, why now it's happening? But, hey, let's just be happy that it is happening, you know, because we're talking about it, most importantly. Um, I know that this goes on a lot in our black families, you know, in our black community, period. But now, to show that this man isn't untouchable, you know, this is a, a conversation that we're actually, you know, blessed to actually, you know, have and give real input to. So mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not really sold or really care about, like, the why now and all this stuff like that or that kind of agenda. But I'm, I'm happy that the conversation is being had because it's important, obviously. Right, and even with that, I'm just piggybacking off what you said, Pierre. I did research in terms of the journalist Dream Hampton. So this isn't something like she, and even just the process coming from a production background or, you know, just a media background, it is not easy to get projects off the ground. There's set slots on all these major networks that literally the world is vying for in terms of getting their pilot or their project off the ground. And not only that, she expressed the amount of, um, 
I don't want to say indifference, but just the reluctance or just flat out knows that she got from a lot of people within um, the entertainment community because this this has been the sloppiest but biggest kept secret for decades, you know? Um, and even calling out the fact of how prominent African-American, you know, African-American men within the this field, Jay-Z didn't, his team said no, Questlove said no, Erykah Badu said no. The only person outside of Chance, um, also basing this on the fact I only saw one episode, or the first two episodes, was John Legend. Um, that was the only, like, I guess, person of status that I saw that was willing to say anything. Um, and Dream Hampton even had to call Questlove out because he tried to, in my opinion, give a very PR answer in the sense of why he didn't want to be on it. He was like, well, I feel like they just wanted me on the part that was glorifying his genius or his artistry. And Dream Hampton responded to that tweet and was like, no, I asked you to be a voice as a black man to stand up for black women. And you said that you couldn't do the program. Mm. Um, even things coming out with Dame Dash speaking on clearly the, you know, the ex-boyfriend of Aaliyah when she had her horrible, untimely demise. And he was saying, like, she couldn't ever talk about it. And he, he was like, it got to a point where I didn't want to ask her too much because then I would have felt like the need to maybe go in a different direction. Um, and he said, if you look, I took my name off the Best of Both Worlds projects entirely. He was like, because of that. And he used that as one of the reasons. He didn't necessarily say Jay-Z, but he said, I used that as a reason why when I was speaking to people I was close to, I was like, I'm telling you how this is personally affecting my world, what my girl went through, and you still want to move forward with this project. A lot of people I feel don't want to speak because they will, in the process, condemn themselves with their complicity. Because people still did business with him, knowing, you know, what his, his sickness or what he was known for. Mm-hmm. Um I'm going to move to a happier space just because I can't with R. Kelly <laughs> nor these Pelly Pelly coats that he keep trying to bring year after year. I'm like, sir, let it go. Like, Outwell Gardens is never coming back. It's not It's not a thing anymore. Um, last but not least, uh, I'll even put it this way. Have you all heard about the Kevin Hart scandal with the Oscars yep. and him still wanting to do it? and. Ellen stepping in with her, you know, her $400 million cape to try and save him. Did you have an opinion on that at all? So, let me get this correct. Kevin Hart made a statement on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Or it resurfaced. It resurfaced. This was like 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. 2010, 2011. I don't remember. I don't recall what the statement was, but I know he made an offensive statement to the homos- like the homosexual community, right? Right. Okay. Um, and so, of course, everyone went up in arms. It was like, oh, no, sis, you will not be hosting this year's Oscars. Um, and he stepped down. Um, but now he's, you know, reconsidering if he should still do it. Um, I'm just going to say it. I don't think Kevin is funny. I'm more of a, I'm a Monique Cat Williams type. I, I'm not going to, in my 80s, be sitting here saying, you know, are you done? I will forever be saying this shit right here, nigga, like till I die. <laughs> that will be something I say. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm not team Kevin. Um, I just, do you all ever get the sense like he only speaks up or takes on this bigger issues when it's something that personally is affecting his legacy or his bottom line or am I tripping? And y'all can tell me I am. I feel like we're, we've had enough emails where y'all can tell me that. Oh, God. And he told us, y'all, 
out of all the characters he could have chose, he yeah. chose the one that was stealing kids and the kids never were found again in the town. I'm done. Like, just take me out, guys. Okay. Um, I, think, I think you make a good point. Like, I never thought about it from that critical lens, but it, it does seem whether it's, you know, a situation that's, infect, that's affecting his family or his bag. Like, he goes on this whole Olivia Pope campaign trying to clean up the mess. I've been wrong. You know? I mean, here's the thing. Like, I can't, I can't say that he should be more vocal about issues concerning the black community, but he is a voice that I definitely think will have a lot of impact based on his platform because I feel like he does speak to both people in and outside of our culture. So, I always just will take the Nina, Mo- Nina Simone stance, which is like, as an artist, it is your duty to reflect like whatever is happening in your community or in the society that you live in. Like that is your duty, right? So if I automatically hear somebody that that says like, man, I'm just out here trying to get this money. I, that ain't my place. That ain't my role. But I'm like, but you are, whatever your demographic is that you're affecting, like even with Ural's brand, mm-hmm. if y'all ever, if I ever saw a tweet, a post that goes, um, from the desk of Tristan Lewis, that's not my place to say. <laughs> I'm like, cancel. <laughs> like, because it, it is, if you can be open enough to ask for public support, yeah. whether it's your business or a bakery or your dispensary, I don't give a fuck what it is that you're trying to do. Then in retrospect, if the society or if the public, public has supported you and given that, it is also now your duty to stand for those specific demographics or that community that has helped put you on. I personally have just kind of didn't see it for him when I'm like, you talk about Philly cheesesteak sandwiches more than you did Freddie Gray getting his whole back rearranged in the back of a fucking police van. That's problematic to me. Now, for whatever reason, and if anyone listening goes, Joy, he did say something. My bad. I recant. But... I didn't see anything about him saying that. But the second you don't now get to put this notch in your legacy of being on the illustrious list of being an Oscar host. Now you want us to cry and run to the NAACP and, you know, don't involve Ellen in your bullshit because Relatable was funny as hell. Like, you leave my nice white lesbian friend alone. <laughs> like, I'm not here for it. But that's just pretty much... um my only take on it. I just wish his comedy would be better. Not all the time do I care for his suit color choices. Yeah. Um, but that's not my place. Uh, that's between him and his wife. And go for what you know, sis. But um, that is just going to wrap up. So according to IG. Well, I do not know what you all will be drinking come cupping season 2019. That is currently upon us. But for those long, lonely winter nights where he lied and said he was coming over. And he did not. Make sure that you have Cavassier VSOP to ease the pain. It kept us posted in the summertime, and it'll definitely be here for the wintertime with that smooth, velvety taste that we all love. So make sure whatever you are drinking, that it is Cavassier VSOP. And now back to Joy Has Questions. Now moving right along into So, I have a question. I have several, in fact. I'm trying to even actually remember how I met you all. And I can't, but sometimes that's just how like yeah. good professional relationships are. You vibe with people, you all like from afar support one another. Um, I definitely have always felt supported from the stature team, um, just in regards to like if it's been a like or it's been a keep killing it. I'm like, thanks guys, <laughs> um, and vice versa. So go ahead, y'all talk y'all shit. Like, what is it that what is stature? Um, what made it come about? Like, I need to know like the foundation details. For sure, for sure. And uh, I could definitely go ahead and kick it off. So, yeah. There, this is, I literally <laughs> feel like I'm hearing, what's that song with Case? It's like, the bet be the best man. Like, I feel like I mean, I'm hearing that in the background. These, these niggas are supportive of one another. After you, my king. Thank you, bro. Like, go ahead, see, kick it off. Nah, yo, me, me, me. One of the best uh, hobbies being a black man is trying to out-compliment. I swear to God, I watched two black men intro- like say what's up to each other in a coffee shop, and I bust up laughing and had to tell him why yesterday. He literally walked up, what's up, my big cheese? I see you all that flavor on that burger. And I'm like, what? Are we talking about a food order? Are you saying hi to your guy? White dudes would be like, hey, Prescott, what's going on, Bob? I'm like, nah, our shit way more popping. You know, we always got to add a little bit more <laughs> yes. flavor to it. <laughs> Go ahead, T, or Tristan, I should say, yeah. kick it off. Now, I, I would definitely, uh, you know, to, to, to ground us and anchor us into, like, 
what stature is and how did it come about, I would have to take a step back in 2014. So this is around the time that I moved to Chicago. You know, white, white, I was living on uh, the north side. So paint, paint a picture for you, for those of you who are not in Chicago. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the country. Um, when I moved here, my coworkers was like, oh, don't go south of South Loop. And then my black coworkers was like, don't go north of Lakeview. So for me, don't go north <laughs> of Roosevelt. <laughs> so, so for me, I ended up, you know, getting my first spot in uh, Lakeview, which is like 98% white. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was totally missing black culture. And, uh, you know, this is around the same time that like the whole Mike Brown situation happened in Ferguson. Um, so turning on CNN, seeing media coverage of, you know, a young black male being victimized by a criminal justice system and all the headlines that was just dehumanizing him and painting him to be a picture of, you know, some type of monster coupled with me being new to Chicago, dressing up, going downtown every day on the bus and just feeling out of place. You know, I I lived in D.C. for five years before I moved to the city, which used to be Chocolate City before (laughs) before gentrification. So for me, it was common. to Now it's like saltwater taffy. I'm like, what the hell is this? (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, so so for me, it was just like, yo, I I was frustrated with feeling uncomfortable in my day to day life, and then also coming home to turn on, you know, different media outlets and seeing, you know, what I knew to be greatness, especially coming from D.C., going to a black college, just being torn down every day, and uh, it actually what what kicked Stature off. Pierre came to visit, and uh, when he he came to visit for like a three day weekend, and when he went back down to I was living in D.C. at the time when he went back to D.C., man, I hit him up and was like, bro, we got to do something about the media coverage and the way they're depicting black men. And I just kind of thought about it. I was just like, you know, when you look at different media outlets, you know, even from the print standpoint, you know, black women, there's Ebony, there's Essence, there's Vibe. Um, And then, you know, when you think about it from from a male standpoint, we're relegated to GQ and Esquire. And if they do try to make something black, what was that black magazine back in the day? Pierre was it King? It was very, it was, it was very, it was very misogynistic. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, even, I remember the King covers more so having women on the. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was say, like, it, I remember the King covers like being like to hear like the video. It was more. it was basically like Sports Illustrated for black women. Gotcha. <laughs> that, okay. That's basically what it was. So I'm like, man, like they're confining us to these very specific and linear archetypes, and I know that we're much more than that. So, you know, just based on that survey and based on what was going on, you know, in the environment at the time, I was like, yo, Pierre, man, we need to create something. We need to start a platform that, you know, can speak from a relevant standpoint to black men where they can come get game on how to crush it in life and also feel like, yo, there's a voice for us out here. And that was the genesis of of why we started Stature. Yes. And that also, were you all friends before, like? Yeah. Oh, how me and Pierre met? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now I went. To, I went to Hampton after I graduated from Hampton. I moved to D.C. Um, and Pierre and I met. You know, with it being Chocolate City, okay. all the HBCU kids kick it at the same spots. Busboys and poets. Busboys and poets. You know. <laughs> um, but no, we had some mutual friends that were connected. And uh, Pierre, you can you can take the baton from here and kind of kind of talk about that, bro. Oh no, nah, no doubt, man. So uh, like you said, you know, literally met in D.C. Um, at the time, you know, my wife and I, we. Uh, put together we used to do events uh in the dc area and uh man we put together a real real fly event it was a um it was really it was called date for a cure which is uh in essence like a speed dating um well, a date auction and what we did with the proceeds with that was to uh, raise funds for like breast cancer but it was an opportunity for you know young black professionals to get dressed up uh gives the opportunity to you know to shoot your best shot uh, you know, at a female or, or, or for the ladies to, you know, pretty much get chosen as well, too, uh, with that kind of uh, date idea. But uh, like I said, a mutual friend hooked Tristan up and said, hey, man, I think you got this guy. He's clean cut. I know a lot of the ladies, uh, you know, spend a lot of money on him. And we can, you know, it'll, it'll help the cause out. So sure enough, you know, we wrapped on the phone once like, oh, man, I think you're cool, blah, blah, blah. And it was, it was, you know, it is what it is. And I believe, I always tell this, I, sometimes I feel like a female telling this story, like, because I've seen him in a room, man, and it's like, you know how the aura, he's just smiling, and like, but at this point, I don't really recognize his face, I only talk to him once, and he's just smiling as he's walking up to me, like, man, who is this dude, like, I don't, I don't know, like, hey, I don't know this man walking up to me like this, but he, you know, he dapped me up, hey, man, Tristan, and literally, man, that's that's been 
she wrote. Like, uh, it was like that connection has been like that, man. He's been my brother ever since. Like, like for real, for real. So, uh, you know, from from things about from professionalism to just ownership, we just always had that vibe. Even to music, you know, just un- trying to understand and navigate through life, man. Yeah, it's been my brother ever since. But uh, yeah, man, he was one, he sold the show at the uh, at the date for a cure and everything too. So. It's just, like I said, it's just been love ever since. Aw, y'all better come through with this Remember the Titans moment. <laughs> yes! <laughs> like, like, um... Joy, you need to do some damn stand-up comedy. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I like it in a nice, controlled setting. <laughs> like, I can look bummy. I ain't trying to be out there sweating in no damn lights. Um... But thank you. I appreciate the, the comedic timing that you all see. Um, I think the biggest thing or what I've always loved about Stature is obviously the platform. Even when you all were you really formulating it and with it coming together, it always showed the different aspects of black men. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it, you know, it makes it seem like you can only be super hood or you can only be super clean cut there's no like in between and it's like and that has never been what i've known black men to be like every dude i've ever dated or even known it's like yeah we might have the new york and company suit on but we throwing on some concord 11 like (laughs) on the weekend or you see somebody be like well look at this clark kent to superman as negro go ahead but I think that's something that your brand has done really well of showing the diversity of blackness with black men. Um, why is that so important for you all? Or what are some of those like key goals that you seek to to push across with the platform? Yo, Pia, you got this one, bro. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's going to be the title of the whole show. You got this, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, man, my dog, gas me up, too, man. Gas me up, bro. Nah, but... um. Honestly, I, I just know how important it is. Like, like you said, you mentioned it yourself. You hit it right on the head where it was. it's always two extremes uh, uh, or just two spectrums. You're either this or you're that, you know. You're either if you, you're, you're either the thug or if you're successful, you play some kind of sport or you rap or, um, you know, like I said, or it's you're just a, a bad guy. You either dead be dead or if you are in a relationship, you that corny guy, like you know, and I just I never like how it was just portrayed. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm none of those things, but um, at the same time, I'm kind of all of those things. It's it, like I'm I'm rap, I'm all of that in one. Uh, I think Tristan best said it, like uh, you know, knowing where I, where, where I come from, uh, that I can go back home and fit right in, and you know, dap everybody up, and I don't stick out like a sore thumb. But when I go back to you know, in DC working at the Pentagon, I'm surrounded by people that don't look like me basically you know I, i'm the only one that represents that so I, I carry that kind of burden around to make sure that i represent the right way so i just think that it's important because we show that i think the best thing about being a black man is just our diversity you know that we can be able to walk into the room we can throw on that suit you know what i mean but hey, we can still listen to some kodak black and <laughs> say it word for word and you know and still be a good dad that's gonna play uh baby shark in the car <laughs> <laughs> showing all of that stuff man and we can still love our women uh, women the right way that you know our love doesn't have to be about me showing y'all anger i can get at you or uh, i'll cuss you out or something like that just to, so we can have some good makeup sex afterwards like nah like we can i can show you love in a good way and it doesn't have to look and come off corny like you know what i'm saying like the way they did try to make us look like when we are in love so then that makes people I may have scared of like you know monogamy or whatever the case may be. Like I just wanted, mm-hmm. to sh- we wanted a platform that was going to be able to show the day on the life of that the, the everyday black man because man, it's, it's, it's lit. Like it's lit yeah. being black. <laughs> it really is. Enjoy. I, I appreciate. I appreciate the fact that you like made that observation that uh, we're really trying to push this whole diversity of the black male because like we're we're not trying to push a certain image forward, you know, with our brand because we, I, I, you know, me and Pia talked about it. You know, I think one of the, the superpowers of black men is our adaptability. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, kind of how he summed, I'll sum up what he just said. Like, the fact that we can go from the black to the boardroom and exist in both worlds very well. Like, I can't tell you any other ethnic groups or races that could do that. So, you know, that's something that we definitely want to embrace and that we want to continue to push forward that narrative as we uh, build our stature. I think that's amazing. And I know for me, 
personally, like my biggest moments of pride, I call it the elevator effect. I intentionally will blast like the most ratchet song I can hear or like through my headphones when I'm at work because I'm typically like the only black person on the elevator. And then it's like it gets off and it's like, ding dong. Yes, yes. (laughs) You see what floor I got off though, though. You all have a great day. And I'm like, and I'm still going to be bumping this Gucci. (laughs) It definitely is like that moment of nigga, we made it. (laughs) It's like that. That's that feeling of, of, like you said, that chameleon-like persona that every black person, I don't care where you are, you know, has. Um, Then in terms of just, you know, moving along in terms of how you all balance everything, like I know Pierre, you're married, have a beautiful family. Tristan, you have a wonderful relationship. My boo, hey girl. Um, (laughs) uh, Side note, that's Bailey in the corner. (laughs) I don't know why I pointed, like this is a visual show. (laughs) Um. Why is it so important for you all, or how do you all balance, I should say, personal versus the professional? You still have your day jobs. Now this is another potential stream of income. You still have to devote time, you know, to your loved ones, to your ladies, to your daughters and everything. How does that work? Yeah. um, For me, personally, passion planner, you know, making sure that on Sunday nights I'm planning out my week. I know exactly where I'm spending my time. Second thing is establishing boundaries and being confident and saying no. And that's one of the things that, hey, as I'm getting older, I'm getting more stronger and stronger. Oh, I revel in it. Yeah, because it's just like, you know, like before, like this weekend, a couple guys was like, yo, we going to the Bulls game on Sunday. And I'm like, I got this launch. And I think what what happens is just like, you know, as we get deeper and deeper into stature, and as you said, it's it's a viable means for us to create economic opportunity for our personal lives, like, you got to protect that and spontaneity becomes planned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I got a plan when I'm, you know, just going to hang out and just have nothing to do. But uh, yeah, I mean, you definitely got to make sure that, you know, uh, you're protecting your calendar and you're establishing those boundaries. And I also would say, you know, as it pertains to being in a relationship, you know, just being very transparent about, you know, what, what your priorities are, but also making sure that other person feels appreciated and you're, you're, you're giving them that time as well. Right. You know, I mean, I would definitely say in our relationship, um, we're pretty transparent about, you know, the things that are our goals and the things that we're pursuing. And I mean, you know, I'm blessed to say that, you know, Bailey's been super supportive, you know, when she's like, yo, Tristan's locked in for six hours writing this article or, you know, him and the guys that plan a statue. She like, she gives me that space because she knows that's important, you know, but on the back end, I got to make sure that I'm filling her cup back up. And making sure that she's getting what she needs. Y'all better so. come through with this New Testament <laughs> language. Feel yes. Okay. You think you better come through with this Christian background. No, I'm kidding. Um, I think that's amazing. Pierre, I know for a fact. Sorry, I got how you chime in. Um, what? How do you balance everything? Yeah, that's, uh, e- that's easy. Um, first of all, and my guys know this, family comes before anything. That, that, that comes from personal, before personal or professional, regardless. Like, then sometimes we'll have a meeting, but I'm like, hey, man, I, I got I got my daughter want to talk, tell me about her day real quick. Man, I'm like, we're going to have to push it to, like, 30 minutes or whatever the case may be. Like, so above everything, no matter what, that my family going to always get, you know, going to be my priority. And uh, I'm just big on that. So um, that's, that's, that's been a lot easier in my, um, in, in my life. Um, so as far as just the, the normal grind, that the, you know, the eight hours a day, you know, going to work, you know, I, I do it. It's a means to an end, and it's, and it's good. I do. I know I like what I do. I'm, I'm confident in what I do uh, professionally working here in Atlanta now. Um, but it's just something about stature that I just – that I know that the day that Tristan called me, it was like the aha moment. That's like, man, this is not only going to change our lives, but so many other lives. It's going to impact so many people. So I know the magnitude of it. So it's one of those things that even when we do slack off, we just can't let die. Even yeah. we try. Like, I, I remember I, I told Tristan that I had a uh, – we had a conversation. I texted him about a year ago, like, bro, the statue dead? Like – should we just try to move on, just cut our losses, just move on and do something different or something missing? Man, like, Eric, who's not here, our other partners, it's like, man, listen, man, it's God's plan. It's bigger than us, and we just couldn't let it die. So it's just one of those things that even if we try, we can't get it off our, you know, get it out of our background and our mind. So it's just, it, it's become easy in that way. But we enjoy what we do, man. Like, we, we love putting up this kind of information, problem solving, and just showing these kind of images and stories and things of that nature that's like, Man, this is what this is what the new cool is. So it's, it doesn't feel like a task, you right. know, to, to do to do stature. But you know, just in my situation, like I say, it's, it's the family, 
in stature and, you know, making sure the home front straight on the professional side, you know, until we get to that point where it's like, hey, hey, I got to put in, I got to find out a way to put in this resignation because, uh, <laughs> you know, stature is taking off, man. What are we going to do, you know? So that's what I try to keep those, those goals and priorities in mind. That's amazing. I think you all even hit it on the head, or Pierre, you just hit it on the head, because I remember, like, I was following you all, and then I had done, like, some random-ass article. Um, but then I know you all took a moment and, like, was level set. And I remember going, like, uh, so y'all not doing it? Y'all are? What's going on? But, yeah. I mean, even talking about the importance of sometimes, like, you do have to reset. That doesn't mean, you know, you failed at something. That doesn't mean that you aren't committed to it. But, you need to take a step back and make sure, like, what is the and hone out what the vision is. Mm-hmm. No one is going to build a house starting with the windows. Yeah. Like that's insanity. So it's just like that. It is that important sometimes of like maybe we did take a misstep, or maybe we need to hammer out more so what our core values are, the mission statement is, or what we see the trajectory of this project or the business being. So. Um, was that something for you all that you all had some moments of like, look, nigga, I told you this is what we should do, but you're not listening. Like just being transparent. Like what was that process of you all like taking a step back to make sure you had it correct? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for us was structure and just having a plan. Because I feel like when we started Stature, it was very urgent. It was very immediate. We recognized a, a problem and we just jumped right in. And we didn't necessarily build out a roadmap for success. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll paint a picture for you in uh, like some entrepreneurship terms, like even putting together like a content calendar, like a quarter ahead, mm-hmm. you know, so we're not pumping out these articles the night before. Right. And then you, you haven't writer's block and stressed out trying to get content out, you know, so like taking taking a pause and just making sure that we had like an intentional strategy that was like well executed before we hit go was something that was super important for us. Gotcha. Pierre, anything? I got uh, I must say this too, you know, um, although she's in the background, man, um, Brittany, my wife, man, she's like, she's kind of like the, she's like the, been a catalyst and our biggest, one of our biggest supporters, you know, working in the background by really helping us become structured, you know, and knowing that, you know, alleviating some of that, those uh, stresses because, like I say, once we get a plan, you know, we have a, you know, that this checklist, it's a lot easier to just go ahead and operate. Mm-hmm. So she's been a big help in terms of our, you know, our, our marketing as well as like our, you know, our visual aids from a graphic design standpoint as well too. And that's been a lot, um, been a lot of help. So I have to make sure we get a shout out to, uh, you know, to, to Brittany. Oh, you already know it. Yes to the backbones of these uh, operations, baby, <laughs> Brittany. <laughs> like, I don't know if Eric got a girl, whatever. Shout out to her as well. Like, if there is. But, no, I think that's super important um, to understand, like, what you're good at, but also what you're weak at and who can help fill those holes. And to have the accountability to know, like, this ain't my lane, but it's yeah. yours. Can you assist me or help me with that? Um so just wrapping it up, um, in terms of, yes, the launch day happened. I'm so excited for you all. What What is it that you want to see within this year or just in general going forward, um, whether it be collaborations or live events? I know, like you all said, that was kind of the background of how yeah. you all got introduced to each other anyway. Yeah. Um, what do you see the vision for a stature being? I, w- I would say, you know, definitely more content, more interviews. But I think for me, what will make me satisfied is to see us doing a men's conference um, and figuring out a way to execute that on a level to attract men from all over the country on the level of like an Afrotech, you know, mm-hmm. you have you and some of the things that we, we kind of talked about, just kind of like the layout of that. Um, but definitely having a lineup of some guys that are respected in the industry, um, but also making it recreational, maybe having like some three on three basketball tournaments flag football games, but just a weekend where guys can come, get some dope information, network, and just trip out. That, that would be like the ultimate for me if we can get, get that done this year. That would be amazing. Talk If you need help with venues or whatever, come find me. But sure. uh, yeah, Pierre, what do you want in terms of how you see this blowing out? Um, what I'm going to get is make sure that, you know, Stature becomes that household name um, and just, you know, becoming trusted with our audience. And that's really, you know, the fellas and we got the, uh, the unintended audiences that or secondary audiences, the uh, our, our black women. So really just becoming trusted uh, mm-hmm. among them that knowing that, man, when they say it, they mean it. Um, hey, man, Stature said it's cool. It's got to be cool. Um, and, you, you know, really just being that kind of that, that, that safe way 
platform for folks to come on and, you know, get their information from. So, and I know that we're going to reach that. I, you know, I tell my guys all the time that statue is going to go as far as we allow it and we won't have no plans on stopping. So. Yes, you can tell, like, Tristan's, the Barack, and then Pierre's like, I will throw this do-rag on <laughs> if necessary and do the drive-by. Fuck with me if you want to. <laughs> like, you can tell. Like, this is how y'all play off each yeah. other. Yeah, hey, that's, that's, that's the beauty in our partnership, man. Exactly. He's like, don't get these tailored suits fooled. It can get real, real quick. Um, from the bottom of my heart, I have thoroughly enjoyed having you guys on the show. Like I said, I... I love supporting non-problematic black men. Like, <laughs> thank, thank you for being, well, I know Eric isn't here, but two out of the three that I know um, in a, a branded space that are really not only just talking the talk, but walking the walk. Um, definitely have a support system here. Everyone, for a fact, you need to throw behind all the supports to Stature. It's an amazing brand. Um, also, again, showing that you can celebrate blackness and not be anti-white, not be anti-any other um, person of color or demographic. Um, but that still does not mean you can't give a head nod or have pride or intrinsic pride in yourself as black men and women. So keep up the good work. Um, yeah, is there anything you all want to close it out with? Or you good? Yeah, no, nah, definitely uh, appreciate you having us. Check us out at Statue Life. On IG, statuelife.com. Now be sure to have everything, all the handles up so everyone can, you know, go look. Also, let me say this. I don't know who all my followers are. We are going to keep it cute on these pages. I don't need anybody in my DMs talking about, no. This is here for professionalism and professionalism basis only. Don't come with me with no fuckery and foolishness. (laughs) I will embarrass you. And on that note... This has been an amazing episode. Thank you so much, guys. And it was amazing talking to you all. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Bye. My motivational message for this week is quite simple. If you are a black man or woman and I see your raggedy ass on social media throwing up memes that are making fun of the trauma that has been experienced, that has resurfaced for other members of our community when it comes to sexual assault, molestation, and basically being a trash-ass human being. My motivation for you is to get a therapist, a fucking prayer cloth, and get your shit together because I don't have time for it. I don't give a solid gas or liquid fuck about your disclaimer. It's not funny, but there is no but. My whole episode was sitting here talking to two black men who understand the trauma, the issues, what that means, their responsibility as black men to uplift our community. I have talked to various people, friends, who whether or not they are psychologists, psychiatrists within the mental health industry, whatever. And everyone has said how this R. Kelly docu-series has been triggering, even if you are not a victim of sexual assault, trust and believe, sis, there is somebody within your family or friend circle who is. Let's stop shielding our eyes and hiding from the fact that, hey, sis, incest happens beyond Cersei and Jamie Lannister every Sunday on Game of Thrones. It happens in a lot of families within black communities. These praying as predatory as uncles, cousins, congregation, church members, friends of the family, mentors, toxic masculinity, as well as toxic femininity, because there's a lot of these weird ass women too, having all these Antoine Fisher ass moments, taking care of little ass black boys and taking away their innocence when they should be out there playing with Hot Wheels or baking a cake or doing whatever the fuck it is that they want to do. So maybe I don't sound super motivational this week, but I have fucking had it up to here with seeing people justify, minimize, and disregard the feelings of those who are maybe for nothing else just trying to scratch and survive after being re-triggered again by watching this documentary. It's not okay. I don't want to hear the excuses of, well, I mean, I was just saying, like, I'm sorry, this was fun. It's not fucking funny. I think you are trash on a hot piece of bread, and you need to get it together. If you would not want that happening to your son, would you laugh if it was your son or daughter? Would you would laugh if it was your mom? Would you would laugh if that was a story of a loved one in your life? It's always, you know, has to hit home before it makes a, an actual ripple or an impact. And that is something that as our community, we have got to come take accountability and come to task for. 
Just because it is not happening to you does not mean that it is not all of us or a problem for everyone. I think Mamie Till said it best after her son got lynched. I thought lynching was a Southern black problem. Did she think that after her son had a cotton gin tied around his neck? I don't think so. So if that is your mindset, that this is somebody else's problem, that I have leeway to do this bullshit, that these girls knew what they were doing, that they weren't kids, that this, that, and the other, you need help. There is nothing funny about sexual assault. There is nothing funny about making fun of those who have had to experience it. And unless you want to put in on my therapy bill every fucking month for things that have hurt me or that I have had to overcome, you can sit down in the corner. I have no patience, no tolerance, no fucks to give when it comes to raggedy ass behavior like that. So my motivational message for the week, stay clear of me or anyone else that you think it's okay to make fun of. Stay clear of me if you don't want to catch all of this verbal lashing. Stay clear of me if you don't want me to read you for filth like I will. It is not acceptable to do this. Point blank fucking period, the end. Do better. And to those who have been the survivors, know that when we have low moments like this and when we see those around us who might say that they love us or care, we have two options. To either educate them as to why it's trash behavior, but know for a fact that that is not our responsibility either. Our responsibility is to protect our fucking peace. And if that means a block button or muting someone or getting rid of someone that you might have shared a plate of macaroni and cheese with at this last family function, oh fucking well. Everyone have a great week and let us not go into it making fun of those who might have had a hard time because they're trying to overcome having their innocence taken by someone that they were supposed to trust in their life. Thank you and good night.